what's going on guys welcome back into the fantasy pros football podcast while most of you may have been you know out enjoying the weekend with family and friends we were doing what we love best and that's watching football that's right we got a break from the tape this weekend and we got to watch the nfl combine which now seems to be known as the underwear olympics and uh we're here to break this down what happened who improved their stock who hurt their stock and who answered some much needed questions to do that we brought in one of my favorites the old boss man from pro football focus jeff ratcliffe Jeff, I know that you and I both had a baby around the same time, and mine just turned one a short time ago, uh, so I know we're going to both have our hands full in dad life, but how was the Radcliffe household throughout the Combine weekend? Pretty good, I suppose. It was a little concerning, not nothing to do with the Combine, but we had what was supposed to be a rainstorm turned into like a crazy snowstorm that ended up knocking out power in, in a lot of places around the Philadelphia suburbs here, which I'm in the you know northern part of the Philly suburbs. Really, really wild stuff, and and it just kind of makes you realize uh, when we're we're just talking silly stuff about football. There are a lot of other important things out there, but at least the combine was here to take our minds off of it this past weekend. Because, like I said, it was nuts. I actually had to get up on a roof, which. Anybody who knows me, just hearing me say that is like, well, we know you do the home improvement stuff, but you're not much of a roof guy. So I had to get up there because there was a piece of flashing that came loose because the winds were so bad. We heard it it sounded like somebody was banging like just uh, gigantic pieces of metal outside of our house. And and that's what it was. So. Yeah, I um, had my life briefly flashed before my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I would have been the same way. It's just like, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that my neighbors pretty much think I don't do any housework because, you know, in, during football season, I moved back to Illinois uh, and I started doing some housework like right when I moved in. But after that, like for the football season, I was like not out there. So I don't think they know who I am. I don't think that they think I take care of my property. There's a lot of things that kind of go on. But it reminds me of like a couple of years back in, in Chicago we had a snowstorm during the Super Bowl and anybody that had dish network on my street was knocked out. So they came over to my house. We watched the game, had a good time, but, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's a struggle when you live in a, in a place like, you know, Philadelphia or Chicago where you're getting that snow. And, you know, fortunately you were able to see the combine. So let's talk about that. I, there was, there was quite a few storylines. We're going to hit on a lot of those. We, I doubt we're going to have time to hit on any defensive players just because it's like, we're trying to fit so much in this little show. Um, but let's address the biggest topic before we get into specific players, Jeff. And that is how much do measurables really matter? I mean, are you one that's going to use them over the film that we've watched? Or do you take an equal mix of the two or is one more weighted in your analysis of the players? Well, so my process really starts in January. Uh, we were, you know, we're talking about this right before the show, just to pull back the curtain for folks, though. Most folks who are in the industry in a position like you or I am in don't watch college football. And if you do watch college football, uh, maybe you're single um, <laughs> or your significant other probably really hates you for four months. <laughs> I, I get enough crap for, you know, just spending an entire Thursday night and Sunday and Monday night watching football. I can't imagine adding Saturday into the mix. It's a lot of football. It is. So for a lot of us, we just can't do it until January. Once the playoffs hit, though, freeze up a little bit of time. That's when I start going through players. And I'll just, you know, I have a list. I'll go through the big names, of course. And and some of the names you get to watch a little, you know, from highlights and stuff like that during the course of the season. Mm-hmm. But then I go through that list and then uh, really, really start to establish a profile on that player. See if he if he looks like anybody to me. And, and I really like to operate in a vacuum. I don't get on Twitter. 
I'm not I'm not on draft Twitter. I don't care what people have to say on draft Twitter. I mean, it's great that that's a conversation, but I don't want it to change my perspective on a player. Mm-hmm. So I do this in as much of a vacuum as I can and then start to dig through the list a little bit. Some of the deeper name players who uh, still could potentially be fantasy relevant. That's most of January and February for me right up to the combine. And this week, I actually released my top 50 pre-combine rankings the morning the combine started, morning the event started, not the, you know, the actual combine itself, like the on-field events. So it came right down to the wire, right? And then once I get to the combine, I want to see, all right, you know, for example, like if we had like a six foot four receiver, right? I know that guy's not going to run four four zero, and if he is, he's going like top five pick, right? <laughs> he, he's not going to do that. But can he run four five? Can he run four five two, or is he going to run more like four six? Right? right. That would separate things for me. If I see a guy go out there run, you know, for his height, run a fast time, then all right, maybe I move him up a little bit from where I was before on him. Same thing with the running backs. Not necessarily the forty times, although some of these forty times that I'm sure we'll talk about did move the needle for me, but I'm looking more for explosion with those guys. I want to see vert. I want to see broad jump, you know, what kind of explosion do they have? And of course, you know, can they operate in a phone booth with uh, some of the other drills, the cone and the, you know, the, the uh, 20 yard shuttle. So it will change things a little bit for me, but it's not going to be drastic. I know a lot of people are, are, you know, into the metrics and into uh, what these guys can can run, but I've seen some. I mean, Antonio Brown is a great example. Yes. What did he run like four, five, four, or something mm-hmm. like that? He's did not an that, athlete. <laughs> well, I yeah. mean, in, in, in the NFL sense, people don't think he's an athlete. Exactly. And and did it ultimately really matter? Or you know, some of these running backs who will go out and run four sixes, like Arian Foster was a four six guy. Mm-hmm. You know, that doesn't doesn't necessarily. Um, it's not all or all or nothing with any of these things. And and the the thing is, and we'll talk about. I'm sure with Barkley. When the on-field is spectacular and the combine is spectacular, then then you're looking at a really, really special player. I love the way you put it, too, and it really does matter on the player that you're talking about. Like Auden Tate, I don't think anybody expected him to run a 4.5 or a 4.440, but seeing him run up in the 4.7s, that was not ideal. So there's certain things when I take notes, you know, Jeff mentioned, we start our process in January and we start watching all this film on players, and there's certain players where I get to and I'm like, I put a little note and I say, I want to see what he how he does this in the combine because I feel like it's a, it's a concern of mine. Or, you know, like Hayden Hurst, I didn't feel like he looked like he was 6.5 on film, so seeing him measure in little things like that interests me, but my big biggest interest is watching them on the field playing next to the guys that they're they're being compared to because Jeff as you mentioned it you know draft twitter there's so many differing opinions when it comes to college football. Like when we get to the pros, everybody knows who the top tier wide receivers are. Like we know who Julio Jones is. We know who Antonio Brown is. We know they're the best receivers in the game. But that's why it's so interesting with college to me is because it's a different ball game where it's like you have to figure out how their game is going to translate to the pros. You know, just because they got a ton of passes in college like Zay Jones, does it mean he's going to translate to the NFL? And is he going to be that possession receiver that he was in college? Landing spots absolutely matter. Players matter. Everything matters. So I, I love how you brought that up about, you know, the different drills with the running backs doing the vertical and the broad jump. It just shows the burst. And we're going to talk about that stuff. But let's start with quarterbacks. And it feels like this might be a, a shorter uh, portion of our episode. I don't think we need to talk too long. It feels like it's a very top heavy class with the quarterbacks, you know, starting from the let's start with the group one because it was separated in two groups. It was Josh Allen. It was Lamar Jackson. Now, Jeff, I'm not sure where you stand on Josh Allen. I know he's got a, an arm that can throw the ball over mountains. You know, he's Uncle Rico. He's all that. But 
but I've always been the type where I feel like you cannot teach accuracy. We've never seen a quarterback come into the league and, and dramatically increase his accuracy percentage year over year. And, you know, Josh Allen being able to complete, what, 56% of his passes in college, I don't think that translates very well. But I will say this. He outplayed Lamar Jackson at the Combine. Lamar Jackson looked like he was aiming the ball. It was like he was overthinking it. He wasn't just playing his game. We know he's got upside. But how do you feel right now about Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson? Well, I I think Lamar Jackson, you know, obviously we hear the comps to Michael Vick all the time. And I, I feel like that was something we saw consistently out of Michael Vick. Had an arm, a crazy arm, but would aim quite often when when he was asked to pass except for that you know really remarkable one season that he had in Philly a lot of that was you know very similar with Lamar Jackson that being said though I I still find a, a lot of appeal to Lamar Jackson for fantasy purposes because he is like Michael Vick because he is so dynamic as a runner uh and and does have enough chops as a quarterback that if you get him in the right scheme we saw coaching Good coaching can cover up deficiencies in the quarterback game. Nick Foles is not the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Sorry, Eagles fans. <laughs> he That was a really smart game plan. They played to his strengths. Sean McVay did the same thing with Jared Goff. I think that Matt Nagy is going to do the same thing with Mitchell Trubisky this year. And if we get Lamar Jackson in a system where the coaches can play to his strengths, he could have success for fantasy purposes uh, in, in the future. And I don't think it's gonna it would take too long. Now, granted, he could land somewhere where they don't do that and he could fizzle out very quickly. Josh Allen, like you mentioned, though, accuracy, sure, that that's a big problem there. Um, you know, he's in some ways this year's version of Patrick Mahomes without the resume. You know, Mahomes at, at the college level, the resume was insane in terms of the production. That's what I mean, resume. I don't mean like, you know, winning national championships or anything, but I don't really care about that for fantasy purposes. I, I, I like that Allen the stage wasn't too big for him. He went out there with all the other best prospects and he, and he did a darn good job. So at least that bodes positively. But in my evaluation of Allen, I said that he's probably, well, I mean, of the top group, he's the biggest question mark in that he could very easily down the road, be an elite fantasy option. He could very easily never be a fantasy option. You know, both of those are legitimately on the table. And I don't know if we can necessarily say that for the rest of these guys. So, you know, I, I really I didn't change my I didn't end up changing my rankings after the combine with the with the quarterbacks. And it, it's it's an interesting class. Like you said, it's top heavy and uh, it, it's a little challenging. But for me, I always tend to lean more towards those dual threat guys uh, when it comes to fantasy rankings. Yep, absolutely. And that's why I had Lamar Jackson higher than I did Josh Allen in my in my rankings. And I think that's without a doubt the way I would lean. If you were doing a dynasty startup draft right now before knowing a landing spot, I'd take Lamar Jackson over Josh Allen every single day of the week just because I feel like you know Lamar Jackson's going to get an opportunity in the NFL and he's going to produce with those rushing numbers. It's just what happens. That's not the class that I mean, that's not the tier of quarterbacks that I'm necessarily I feel like has longevity. I think that the next group of quarterbacks, the Baker Mayfields, the Josh Rosens, and even the Mason Rudolphs, those that's like the group that I, I couldn't wait to see. And, you know, when Mayfield and Rosen were throwing the ball, I feel like they were head and shoulders above everybody else. They threw it some anticipation. Mayfield showed off some of his arm strength that a lot of people didn't believe that he had. 
So, you know, did any did either of these guys move up or down your board? I know Mayfield had a disappointing 40 time, but he's still in a very elusive player. He still looks to throw first. I, I was never one that thought Mayfield was going to be a run first quarterback. You know, I never compared him to Johnny Manziel. I don't feel like that's a really fair comparison for him. I feel like he, he's my favorite quarterback in the draft. I'm not going to be shy about that. And nothing changed from the combine. But did him or Rosen do anything in the combine that made you feel better or worse about them? Uh, maybe a little worse about Rosen because he's supposed to be this, the, you know, the uh, quote unquote best thrower of the ball in in this class. And I don't think we necessarily saw that per se. Uh, but um, the way that I sort of tiered this out is, is I actually do have Lamar Jackson ranked as my number one in, in this class for fantasy purposes. Okay. I don't want draft people to come after me for that because I honestly, that's not my job. <laughs> I'm not a draft <laughs> Nick. I'm not a scout. I'm doing this for fantasy. Last year, it was the same exact reason why when I looked at it, uh, you know, I I didn't necessarily have it, have my board set up. I mean, the fourth quarterback who came off the board was was pre-combined my number one quarterback. And obviously things didn't work out very well in Cleveland, but there were weeks where he put up some fantasy points, right? Mm-hmm. And it was the same exact reason why I like Lamar Jackson here. Um, so that I have I have Darnold and Mayfield as that other top tier guys. Uh, then I have Allen and Rosen as sort of the next tier below that. Uh, and then a big drop off really down to Rudolph and Falk and guys like that. But I, I, I love Baker Mayfield, the way that he plays the game. I love the moxie, uh, I, you know, the arm. He can he can sling the rock. And, and I was actually I was able to meet him uh, right after the the Heisman. And I was not surprised by the measurement. So I go about six, two and a half. And he was right there, right up there with me. So I was expecting to see pretty much where he measured in at in terms of height. So he's not under six foot. That's fine. I think in some ways he could be a poor man's Drew Brees, the way that he plays the game for fantasy purposes. I don't think he'll be Drew Brees, Drew Brees. Maybe we never see a guy that consistent for that long ever again. Uh, The the numbers that Brees put up were were really remarkable. And all you box score scouts out there, if you're listening to this and you're a box score scout, Drew Brees was freaking awesome this year. I don't care what the numbers say. He was awesome. Uh, And he's going to be a decent value next year. Uh, But yeah, Rosen, you know, he's... I, of these guys, any of the the top four, Jackson, Darnold, Mayfield, Allen, for me, if five, ten years from now, those guys, any one of them was an elite, you know, number one, number two overall fantasy quarterback, number three overall fantasy quarterback, that wouldn't surprise me. I would be a little bit surprised with Rosen. I think he's more in the he could be a back end quarterback one type territory than could, he could ever be an elite fantasy uh, option. Yeah, like a Matt Ryan. That's that's my comparison for mm-hmm. Josh Rosen. I feel like that's the that's why I feel like he's probably one of the safest quarterbacks to draft. And, and that's why I understand if the Browns wanted to go with Rosen at number one, Mayfield might come with a little more risk, even though he is my number one. Now, Jeff, I want to go back to you saying that Jackson's your number one fantasy quarterback. Now, that's the part where I think we have to figure out how much do we value longevity with quarterbacks? Because let's pretend uh, now I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. If Lamar Jackson walks into the league as a starter, I'd have him as my number one fantasy option of these guys. Mayfield might be close because I think he's got sneaky rushing potential. But l- what about in dynasty formats where, where guys are looking to solidify that quarterback position? Would you still have Lamar Jackson number one, not knowing that he may not have the, the longevity of someone like a Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield? I would still have him there. Uh, now I also have to be pretty clear. I do prioritize di- uh, quarterback and dynasty. I like to keep cycling through, but when I build a, a dynasty roster, I'm probably going to draft three quarterbacks, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be, it, 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 you know, every draft's different. It depends. It depends on how deep the, the uh, rosters are as well, but I really want to be stable there. 
And I don't ever want to ha- look down at my dynasty roster and realize that I have three quarterbacks and all of them are 33 years old or older. You know, I want younger guys. So I'm always going to be cycling through. So typically if, if I'm draft, if I have Lamar Jackson ranked at number one, I'm not drafting him in rookie drafts. That's just the way my drafts work out. So I probably will find myself with Baker Mayfield more often than not, or or Sam Darnold, whoever falls and whoever's value. Because in the first round this year in rookie drafts, I don't and and if you're talking number one quarterback, you may have to take him as early as the back end of the first round, probably more like the the beginning of the second round. But uh, I really want to be loading up on running backs this year. This is a great class for running backs. There's so much depth, so much value, so much versatility in this class that uh, I, I, you know, even ranking him there, I, I wouldn't draft him. So I guess I'm not really that concerned with the longevity thing. Even there, what's the shelf life on a a quarterback like him? It's still significantly longer than uh, than and really most other positions. It should be. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is a good spot to transition into running backs. I mean, we had we had some teams apparently asking if Lamar Jackson would run at wide receiver during the drills. And he said, no, I'm a, I'm a quarterback. And I respect him for that. I think that's exactly how he should have handled it. You know, you don't ask players to play a different position that they don't play. I mean, he's coming into the the. I feel like he's going to go in the first round, Lamar Jackson, just because of the upside that he presents. I feel like the Cardinals are a team that can kind of use that upside. Uh, him and David Johnson, in the backfield would be a nightmare on opposing defenses, even if they don't have the offensive line that they probably should have before they start you know, building that backfield. But let's move on to running backs. I don't know if we really need to say anything about Saquon Barkley. I mean, I think we all knew how good he was. I think we knew that he would dominate this combine. He was built for it. I mean, 99th percentile. But my question, Jeff, the only thing that I really want to know about Barkley is, do you really feel like he's going to go in the top two picks of this draft? <sighs> I, I, you know, it just, I, I don't know. That's, it's a hard question. It's a really great question, in fact, because every year we see quarterbacks get overvalued in the draft because mm-hmm. of the scarcity at the position. And the scarcity at running back isn't necessarily there. I mean, you look at last year, a day, day two pick was the rushing champ this year. I mean, granted, things kind of broke his way a little bit or, you know, kind of slightly backdoored that for Kareem Hunt. But still, you can get really strong productivity out of guys, even day three guys potentially in this era. So that kind of that hurts the cause a little bit. But in the same right, if you want to say you draft the top player at number one or number two, it is clearly Saquon Barkley. There isn't a quarterback who is more impressive. I don't think there's a guy on the defensive side of the ball. Yes, some of these guys are quite impressive. Like Chubb is is mm-hmm. is a, a a specimen, but Barkley is more of a specimen. Barkley is a freak of nature. To be able to run that way at that size and do some of the intangibles. You know, there's detractors out there. There are always detractors. Some people are saying that he bounces outside too often and he struggled against better competition. But in the same right, he has some of these intangibles. The, The knack for the movement at just the precise right time, even when he doesn't see the defender, he feels the defender. It's it's really remarkable. And then the the chops as a receiver. I mean, that that's something, you know, sometimes you get one, you get the other, but you re- rarely get both. And we see how great that is for fantasy purposes in Le'Veon and David Johnson. Uh, Barkley, yeah, I, I, I wish I could say, yes, he's going, but I, it would not surprise me if the Browns didn't do that. Wouldn't surprise me if he doesn't go to... You know, would it be surprising if he slips out of the top five? Probably, yeah. But uh, I think if the Browns are smart, they – I mean, hey, you have two picks in the top five. You, you draft Barkley and then you draft a quarterback and you're good to go. Uh, but 
it's the NFL, so but that's my question. <laughs> Logic I, doesn't always prevail. Well, Jeff, I talked about it last week on the podcast. What do the Browns do with Duke Johnson then? Like, because Duke Johnson's a really good player, but I think we've we've already seen that Hugh Jackson doesn't want to put him on the field for more than you know eight to ten touches per week. What do they do with him at that point? Because Barkley walks in, he's a three down option. You really don't want to take him off the field if you're taking him at number one or number four overall. Do they trade Duke Johnson? Does he sit on the bench? What happens with Duke? Well, Duke Johnson, if you want him eight to ten uh, touches a game, that sounds like a darn good slot receiver to me. They they used him for week one, then they 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 slowly backed away from that that stance. I mean, they should be in the market for a slot receiver. I mean, because you have Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman who don't really play the slot all that often. I don't think that they want to go back down the road of like you know slot by committee, <laughs> kind of what they were doing last year. So it'll be interesting. I I just that's why for me I feel like they could do better. I feel like they can get Fitzpatrick uh, at four. I think they should take their top quarterback at number one, whether that be Rosen, Mayfield, Darnold. That some people I I, I mean. I, I don't know. I just think the Browns need some safe picks and running back is not going to fix your franchise. That's that's where I'm at. The Giants, same thing with them. I, I can't see them going with Barkley just because they have so many needs on the offensive line. Eli Manning, it, he wasn't horrible last year. I think people have kind of overblown that. But at the same time, he's aging. Davis Webb, we've never even seen him on the football field. I think they have so many questions. I think they need to build that offensive line. So I, I'm with you, Jeff. I wouldn't be shocked if he fell out of the top five. And of course, draft Twitter, uh, Twitter would lose their friggin' minds. But that's just the way life is. Uh, one running back that that really impressed me, and honestly, I, I have to reconsider like moving him up my boards, and that was Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb ran a faster 40 than his teammate, Sony Michelle, and that's something I didn't see happening. I think on the field, Michelle looked like the faster player. Uh, he's obviously the more the, the more NFL-ready in terms of three-down back, Sony Michelle, because he's excellent in pass blocking. Nick Chubb is, is a, is a one-two-down back, but... How did his combine, you know, move his draft stock? Are you a Nick Chubb believer or do you think that he's still a one, two down back and that's very limiting and that's why you shouldn't draft him in maybe the first two rounds? Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. Um, Chubb is Chubb is really intriguing just in general because we saw improvement after the injury. You know, 2016 wasn't uh, very impressive out of him and then, you know, comes comes back in 2017 and puts up some solid production there. So I think that helps. It, it just we've we've been down this road so many times with two down backs. When you look at it for fantasy purposes, though, uh, you know the 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 Rob Kellys of the world, that type of player who and and Chubb athletically is is superior to Rob yes. Kelly. I'm not saying that that's a comp, but for fantasy purposes, when the guy is touching the ball, you know, so, hey, sometimes he could get 20 touches. Other times he can get eight touches. It depends on the game script. I'd much rather have a guy who's on the field all three downs. So I still have him behind uh, Michelle. I, ha I have Chubb at number five. I mean, Michelle is at number four. And then you have the big three that I think a lot of folks have as their top Barkley, Geist, Jones. But uh, regardless, that's sort of that's the knock on it. I, I liked seeing what he was able to do at the combine showed strength, obviously showed speed. But again, if he's not going to have a role in the passing game, then he really is landing spot dependent. And, and that's one of those things. It's a huge pet peeve of mine at this time. You know, And I'm sure you get it on Twitter as well. If we talk about pre-draft rankings people are like well it all changes after the draft like we don't know that right, right. <laughs> like we whoa really wait their value changes <laughs> after they get drafted <laughs> we get it but we want to understand these guys what what do they look like on even turf like everybody in a vacuum together 
What do they look like? And Michelle is a more intriguing player just because of what he adds in the passing game. So that's a big knock there. But I, hey, I liked what we saw out of him. I think it will help his draft stock for sure to answer your original question with Chubb. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's the thing is that I, I came into this and you and I have the exact same rankings. It's Barkley, it's Geis, it's Jones, it's Michelle. And then for that number five and six spot, it was down to Royce Freeman, Nick Chubb for me. Nick Chubb's combine might have put him a little over Freeman for me. And the thing is, Freeman's a similar back, that one two down back that, I mean, he can catch a pass out of the backfield, but I don't think that's what he's going to be known for. I think he's competent. I think, but but they're both very workhorse running backs. You and landing spot absolutely matters. Where if Nick Chubb were to land on the Browns, it's a bad spot. Let's just be real about that. It's not a great spot for his fantasy value because that team's not going to be ahead to pound the rock twenty times a game. Whereas if he landed on a team like the Patriots, where he he walks into that blunt role that we wanted, you know, Mike Gillisley to have last year, uh, you know, he's all of a sudden he has tons of value. So landing spot absolutely matters. That's why putting together rankings before the draft for fantasy it's a really tough thing for me to do Darius Geis you know I don't think we need to talk about him the combine it was what it was for him I feel like he didn't hurt his stock I don't think he helped it very much I don't think he necessarily separated himself as like a running back who should be considered in front of Barkley like some people had suggested before the combine one player that did look solid and it's one that there's different points of view and it's Rashad Penny he looked good going through the drills, but here's my take on him, Jeff. G- looking at the state of the NFL, where it's at, and how many running backs are available in the draft and free agency, I just don't see him being drafted as a starter in the NFL. Am I off on, on Penny, or do you view him as a starter? I think he can be a starter. Uh, he He's kind of the anti-Danelle Pumphrey. <laughs> you know, both of these guys coming from the same school and, and the name often in same sentence, you know, with both of those guys, but... He's a bruiser. He he could create on his own, had 84 missed tackles as a runner that led the nation last season. Now, of course, he's not playing some of the schedules that some of these guys like like Sony Michelle are playing. But regardless, still very productive and uh, have a, a source who who knows San Diego State pretty well and said that he is the type of kid in, in the same way that Barkley Barkley's that type of, pl- of kid to where if you're finishing up your workout and he's done, he's going to come over and help you finish your workout. That's the same way that Rashad Penny is, so really dedicated to the, to the game. And that's the type of player there who, you know, if he gets that shot, if it all sort of, if the stars align, you know, he could be an immediate impact. I actually, you so you have you have it a little different. I, have, I go Chubb at five, then I have Carrion Johnson, Rashad Penny, then I have Freeman after that. So I know I'm a little high. Actually, you know what? I have I had Freeman behind Kalen Ballage as well. Uh and and I was I was actually happy to see that he did pretty well there with some of his testing. Not he didn't test off the charts and everything, but when you go out and you run four four six, which was the third best time, uh, along with Penny, by the way, uh then it was pretty solid. So yeah, I like Penny. I think he's gonna be one of those guys, like I said, this is running back heavy. Where, you know, maybe you look to trade up in rookie drafts to the early second round if you can, because you could really stockpile some talent this yeah, year. Yeah, Carrion Johnson's one of those players that I would love to get in a fantasy draft. I feel like he's someone, I have him ahead of Penny, and I, I feel like that because I feel like he's more three down ready. Carrion Johnson, I mentioned it when we uh, did the preview for the running back class this year, and I said he reminds me a little bit of Matt Forte, where it's like he's not great at anything, not like elite. I mean, Matt Forte was an elite pass catcher. I don't want to take that away from him. Uh, he might be a Hall of Famer one day. We don't know. But that's what Carrion Johnson reminded me of a bit. Rashad Penny feels like he's got some work to do uh, in, in terms of his pass protection. He looks very raw at times. I feel like with the ball in his hands, he's fantastic. But that's why I feel like I don't think he'll be drafted as a starter just because I don't know if he's 
better than, you know, 32 other running backs in this league and everybody available in free agency. There's just it's it's a very bad year to be a free agent quarterback. It's a bad year to be a free agent running back because teams are going young. Um, but is there anybody else? I mean, uh, Naheem Hines, he ran a four, three, eight second 40, but he's rough around the edges as a prospect. Uh, did this move him up board so much that we should be talking about him in fantasy circles? No, he's a gadget player for mm-hmm. me. Uh, I can't see him being used much. I mean, and, and by the way, carry on Johnson. I, I think Forte, that's interesting. I have a very similar player in Arian Foster, yep. who I thought he was, you know, sort of poor man's Arian Foster in a lot of ways. A glider, a guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield. Some people are comping him to Tevin Coleman because of his upright style. Mm-hmm. I didn't see that as much, but I kind I get it. I get when a player has that sort of uh, that running style that that's going to be an immediate comp in, in you know, today's era. Uh, this class, I, I, I mean, Naeem Hines, yeah, not, not really interested. I'm interested to see, you know, what the market will ultimately be if, you know, he's probably a day three pick, but on John Kelly out of Tennessee, he's kind of interesting. Bo Scarborough obviously is interesting, but 267 carries in college. I mean, that's nothing for a guy who is supposed to be this, you know, physical freak. And then Mark Walton is another name. And I I heard Daniel Jeremiah during the combine raving over him. Uh, maybe if he had a full season this past year, we, we'd be talking about him a little bit more. So he's another sort of slightly under the radar name, uh, to, to just keep an eye on. Yeah. Mark Walton was someone I was really looking forward to seeing at the combine, obviously missing the almost basically the entire 2017 season. I feel like he may not be in peak physical form yet. He was just mm-hmm. cleared a couple weeks ago to perform at the combine. So I want to see his results improve because he just didn't look like he had as much explosion as I thought he did going back to his 2016 tape. But you're right. He was at one point considered a better prospect. John Kelly, again, I, I wanted to see him stand out a little bit more at the combine. He didn't. I think he's an awesome pass catcher. Uh, Ito Smith was someone who wasn't invited to the combine, but I would have loved to have seen him there because I think he's a three down uh, the third down running back that can come in and contribute right away Uh, but yeah as you mentioned it's it's a pretty deep running back class once you get outside the top six seven names you're looking at you know team fits and and who's going to fit in somewhere so I, 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 this is my going to be my favorite part because we get to talk about the the position that has the biggest differences in opinion and uh, of course I'm talking about wide receivers and um, Jeff I mean, I kind of had enough with draft Twitter this weekend uh, about Calvin Ridley because, you know, this is where the conversation comes in. Like, what do you trust more? Do you trust your eyes or do you trust the, the metrics in terms of broad jump, vertical jump, all that stuff? Because Calvin Ridley on tape, Hands down, most NFL ready wide receiver in this draft. He's he's a he's a technician in his routes. He may not be the crazy athlete that some I don't know if they expected him to be. And some people are saying that it's not that Calvin Ridley can't be good, but he's not deserving of a first round pick because nobody that posted his athleticism results is being drafted in the first round. And the ones that did were busts. You'd have to go back. And and it's like you, you mentioned at the top of the show, and I'm really happy about that, about Antonio Brown, because my best comp for Ridley is like an Antonio Brown, Stephon Diggs type receiver. Matt Waldman was on our show saying that he's like a Marvin Harrison type receiver. So talking about a receiver like that, that comes with very little bust potential with the type of receiver he is. Seeing these numbers have people freaking out all over. Antonio Brown did not nail the combine. In fact, I read... Antonio Brown's count like his uh, his draft profile like his scouting profile coming into the pros and a lot of things are very similar between him and Calvin Ridley the what I wanted to say Jeff is that I really wanted to get the point across here is that when you heard Michael Irvin talking so when you heard Steve Smith 
these two Hall of Fame wide receivers talking about Calvin Ridley, they gushed about him, saying that he will be one of the elite wide receivers in this league once he figures out how to slow down, like to figure out his game speed because he almost plays too fast at times. Where are you at on Calvin Ridley? And can we please stop the notion that there's guys that that, that he should be dropped to the third round? Because I, that's this is what you're hearing out there. I'm not buying it. I still think Calvin Ridley is worth a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. I think people just need to slow their roll a little bit. It, you know, the, probably the people who are saying that are the same people who were saying that Kareem Hunt was the worst football player in NFL history halfway <laughs> yeah. through the season this year. Calvin Cook, too. Even Yeah, even though they were he was playing just fine, even though, you know, Calvin Ridley, Ridley had the production that he had in college in a run heavy offense, by the way. And he was yes. still able to to stand out there. And you would have thought he ran like four seven. <laughs> I mean, the, the the guy ran four four three. Okay, it's not it's not four three zero or anything or four two two, but in the same right, it, it, he didn't run a terrible terrible time. There are a couple other times, like I expect to see James Washington run a little bit faster than he ran. You know, there are, there are, there are times there that stand out, both good and bad, of course, in this year's class. And I, I wasn't. Uh, it's it's one of those that isn't going to move the needle for me. That being said. This is not the best wide receiver class. He's the best of the bunch, but I'm not very excited about uh, Ridley right now. Now, granted, he could land in a good spot. We saw this happen, you know, this past year. Juju Smith-Schuster landed in pretty much one of the perfect spots for him, and and it all clicked. So if Ridley lands in a spot like that, and the, the comps that we're making, I mean, when you comp a guy to Marvin Harrison, yeah. I mean, that is a really that's that's a lofty comparison. It is. When you read through some of these comps like uh, the Lance Zierlein comps on NFL.com, I always find them very interesting because sometimes you read through and you're like, oh, wow, he he comes to Zach Mettenberger or whatever. <laughs> but then you read, you know, Marvin Harrison. I think that's what Lance Zierlein has there. And then, of course, Saquon Barkley, he has Barry Sanders. I mean, those are really lofty comps. So it says something about Ridley. I mean, the two knocks that I have for him for fi- for fantasy purposes, and the one isn't even a huge knock because I don't put that much stock into it, is the drops issue, 23 drops on 335 targets at the college level. The other one is his age. I mean, he's going to be 23 years old in this season. I mean, he's what is he? I, you know, he's almost he's essentially almost the same age as Amari Cooper. Mm-hmm. So two guys, one has three years under his belt. The other has no years under his belt at the NFL level. Same age, basically. It's not good for Dynasty in terms of his shelf life, but he's the best of the bunch for me. Yeah. And that's the thing is when we talked about him on our preview show, we, we talked about really in the fact that, yes, he is older for a prospect. But at the same time, most wide receivers don't come into the NFL knowing the entire route tree the way he does. And that's why I'm OK with him being taken high in the draft. And again, I, I feel like he's a wide receiver that you he's he's the anti Cortland Sutton, where Sutton can come with so much bust potential. but We know he comes with massive upside where it's really I feel like, you know what you're getting. And so many people are knocking him down. They're saying that DJ Moore should be drafted in front of him. And, and I, I, I mean, while DJ Moore is a fine prospect, I think he's He's a good, solid, all-around player. I don't see what they're talking about. I mean, when you when you watched Ridley run the routes that he was running, even through the drills, the guy isn't doing just what they ask him. He's showing off in, in his drills, and Michael Irvin pointed all that out. It was it was fun watching him, and that's where it's just to me. Don't get freaked out about Calvin Ridley. I, I don't I don't see any way he makes it past the Ravens. Uh, you know, I've mocked him to the Bears at eight. I don't know if that happens. I think the Bears may end up trading back. I don't know if they should move back to the point where they're behind the Ravens, though, because I think the Ravens would take Ridley at 16 if he did fall there. So there's something to watch there. But I wanted to get that off my chest because I too many people are knocking Ridley and saying that he belongs in the third round. And at that point, you have room for equity. No, no, he's a playmaker. You draft him. Uh, the, the standout at the combine, though, for me 
it was Christian Kirk. In my mock draft a week ago, I had him going as a late second round pick. I felt like he could come in and fill a role for the Patriots. He could help them win now, uh, help them replace, you know, Danny Amendola, who's slated to be a free agent. Uh, Chris Hogan was dinged up late in the year. Julian Edelman, you know, 32 years old, coming off a bad knee injury. That's where I had him. But now, I mean, seeing his fluid movements, his sure hands, the stability out of a slot receiver has him moving up. Now, the question is, Jeff, do you think that there's any chance Christian Kirk moves into the end of the first round? I'd be a little bit surprised by that if if he was a day one guy. Uh, you know, it depends on who's drafting where and who's still on the board for these guys, obviously, with anything. But that would surprise me to prioritize a slot receiver. You know, that's why I, I'm... I am a little bit surprised that there, if if this is true, there are this many suitors for Jarvis Landry. You know, it, it, to lock up a long term slot guy, just yeah. I, it's not the biggest priority in the NFL. And then, you know, also with Christian Kirk, I know a lot of folks look at uh, the productivity of Texas A and M. They look at what he is, but they forget also what what he is. He's a slot receiver for dynasty purposes. Do we really want a slot receiver? I mean, if you're in a PPR, I suppose. Because Jarvis Landry in PPR has been one of the best performers over you know his career here mm-hmm. over that span of time, but I, I'm not very high on him. Like I have I have a bunch of these guys ahead of him. I have like St. Brown ahead of Christian Kirk. I, I have uh, Moore ahead of him. I have Anthony Miller ahead of him. You know, and and maybe that maybe him and Miller the gap closed a little bit because you have two slot receivers with Kirk and Miller. But uh, either way, not not too excited. I don't think he goes first round, though. That would really surprise me. Yeah, I would also like to see DJ Moore play a slot role in the NFL. I feel like he's the guy that's not afraid to go over the middle. Uh, solid hands. I mean, he, he came in at six foot, which was actually taller than he was listed at. Uh, 210 pounds, ran a 4'4", 240. So again, DJ Moore, while impressive, you know, while watching on tape, there was some inconsistencies in his game. I'm not going to pretend that there's not. There was some in- inconsistency in his quarterback play, but you could say the same thing about a lot of other receivers. Uh, what do you feel about Cortland Sutton? Obviously, you know, Jeff, we haven't had you on the show during the draft process, and there there are a variety of opinions on Cortland Sutton. I felt like watching him at the combine, he looked a, a little bit clunky out there, not as smooth as other receivers, but you know, he's 6'3, 215 pounds. He did really well in the stuff that was kind of off the camera, the three cone drill, the shuttles. He did well. So if you're a team, uh, you know, at the end of the first round, do you take a shot on him? See, he he's a guy, yeah, that that sometimes these teams fall in love with when when you have the size that you cannot teach. And the four five four, I mean, that's pretty much, that's where I would want to see. I don't want to see much slower than that for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about him though is he brings some of these intangibles. He is pretty darn good downfield. He's not gonna he's not gonna blow the top off the defense, but he did well on deep ball targets last year. Caught twelve of them, twenty plus yards in the air out of thirty six targets, which that may not sound like a lot, but that's basically one a game pretty much at the college level. That's pretty pretty solid. Uh, obviously play above the rim for, uh, red zone purposes and pretty good after the catch 26 force missed tackles over the last two years. So it's solid numbers for him. And that's something I, I, I don't want to get too much into yards after catch. That's one of those metrics out there that people throw around, like with more, for example, that that's a number that they're throwing around, uh, with more, what was it? 6.8 yards after catch. It's a ridiculous uh, number. Yeah. Which we had, I know they're different numbers at different sources. That's the PFF number, but regardless, 
one of the things that we will consistently see, like this is the, the old Mike Evans argument. Oh, he doesn't do anything after the catch. Yeah, that's because he's targeted like 80 yards downfield, right? <laughs> the further downfield you are targeted, the the lower your yak is going to be almost across the board. That's why somebody like Jarvis Landry, who gets targeted five yards in front of the line of scrimmage, is going to have a higher yak than Mike Evans. So we, I don't want to look at that per se, but he was surprisingly good for his size after catch. Sutton was, that is. Um, I, I think he's intriguing. I don't know if he ever is a wide receiver one in fantasy, but I think he is going to be a fantasy producer on Sundays. Uh, of course, the big thing with a lot of these quarterbacks is we know that quarterbacks are not immune to bad quarterback or the wide receivers, that is, are not immune to bad quarterback play. So we need uh, Sutton to land in an ideal spot. But back into the first round, he very likely could. Yeah, that's kind of where I see him going maybe top of the second uh one player i want to see end up with the cowboys i mean james washington he's a name that rings a bell and hey that's the thing you mentioned his 40 time i felt like it was decent i mean four or five it's fine what i see with washington is he gets separation in his routes an awful lot you know he creates separation for a guy that it's almost like a build-up speed that he seems to have because he would catch a lot of the deep balls but he was getting separation despite not having that twitchiness but he just he seems to know how to run a route and he impressed obviously at the senior bowl he's someone that i would like to see the cowboys maybe entertain at their number 19 pick, although I, I do think that they need to go defensive tackle there. Um, but there's there's a lot of different ways we can go here. Antonio Callaway, he's a name I wanted to mention on the show just because I felt like he improved his stock. I don't know if he's ever going to be a, a fantasy football option, but he's someone who was away from the game for a year. A lot of questions surrounding him off the field, but he looked really smooth. I think one player, Jeff, I, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I would imagine that you saw the same thing. I felt like the loser of this combine was Jordan Lastly, UCLA. Um, he had a horrid combine. He looked really bad. He ran a bad time. And the gauntlet, he was double catching. He was dropping through the drills. He was dropping balls. Like, Jordan Lastly, how much does this hurt his stock? I want to I keep in mind it's just one, one bad day. But what does this do to his stock? I think it, affir- it reaffirms what, what we saw on tape with him. Because he, did, he had 11 drops last year. So... Mm. If you know, we you want to see a guy kind of shore that up, and especially like I said, with you know, I mentioned earlier with Josh Allen, I don't want the spotlight to do be too big for these guys at this event. And it seemed like maybe it was for him, he just he didn't step up there. And you're right, of anybody at this combine at the wide receiver position, he may have been the one who needed the best combine too to improve his stock. And and he did uh, have one of the, the 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 poorer performances at the wide receiver position. So you know, for him, you know, I looked at him as as maybe a third round rookie pick. He's going to drop a little bit uh, because those concerns are probably just too, you know they're just just too much uh, to overcome. I actually had him a, a few ticks ahead of DJ Chark, who. I'm going to move up now. I, I I was on the fence with him. You know, we saw he was so good downfield, caught 14 to 28 targets, 20 plus yards in the air, 572 yards on those targets, straight line speed. And we know the NFL loves speed. And when you go out there and you run sub four, four, it's pretty impressive. So another, another LSU receiver to the NFL level. And I think he will make a, a little bit of a difference here. Now, not, not a guy who we, look at as a long-term wide receiver one or anything, but wide receiver threes, they have value too. wide receiver twos. They have value. And with his speed and again, in the right system, but with his speed, he could be a difference maker. All right. So before we move on to tight end, Jeff, you mentioned it. Equinemius St. Brown, you said you have him high uh, in your rankings. Let's talk about him. What did you think about his combine? Uh, obviously he ran under four five. He was in the four, four, eight official time, uh, six, five, 214 pounds. 
What do we feel like his upside is? Like, do you have a comp for Equinemia St. Brown? If I, well, I screw that name up one more time. <laughs> that is, uh, it is a really, really tricky name to, uh, <laughs> to say there. Uh, for, for him, I, I'm, I was very impressed with the 40 time. When you're at that height, anything sub four five is, is rock solid. Now he's lean. He's lean. Yeah. I, I, you know, comp wise, I don't know if I have necessarily a really good one. I know some of the names that have been thrown out around, uh, you know, again, I always mention Lance line cause he does every player and I don't know how he has enough time to do all that, but, uh, Andre Holmes, he threw out there for, you know, that's not really the best comp when you look at it for <laughs> fantasy purposes, but in the same right, I, I mean, you know, he has more upside than that. And then the other thing too, the 20 reps on the bench, I think that's, uh, that's something we're hearing more and more and more about contested catches. It's something that our team at PFF has, has been looking into. And you see it in a lot of our evaluations of these players. When you're strong like that, you can play above the rim. Not only that, but make the contested catches. That's a good thing for red zone presence. Uh, plus, I mean, you would expect that because his, his dad was a, a bodybuilder. So you would expect that from him. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm high on him because of the the height, you know, the, really the height you can't teach. And when I look at these guys, I sort of prioritize, you know, running back, I prioritize, prioritize three down guys uh, at quarterback. I prioritize, prioritize dual threat guys at wide receiver. I prioritize guys who could be a prototype wide receiver one. Now, that mm-hmm. doesn't mean top 12 fantasy receiver. It means a big bodied X receiver at, at the NFL level. And, and he could be that. He has some developing to do. We've seen some of this with some of these guys from Notre Dame recently, but he could be that here. Uh, and and I was glad to see him go out and, and do a good job at the combine. He definitely had a good combine. And that's the thing. One of my comps when I was watching him, I felt like a little bit Malcolm Floyd to him. Uh, okay. I don't know if it's, yeah, if it's the, the, the tall, lanky guy. Uh, but that's the thing is I feel like there's more upside. I feel like he's bigger than than Brown was. But it just it, it depends on the, the landing spot. Obviously, all that stuff comes into play. You want a quarterback who's got an arm to get him the ball. Um, but let's is there anybody else at the wide receiver position that, that we missed that maybe you're like, you know, I walked away from the combine really upset or really happy about? You know, I think Deion Kane did a decent job. He's a polarizing guy for sure. Some people love him. Some people absolutely hate him. But, you know, he ran out, uh, went out and ran a, a good 40 time, 4-4-3. Uh, is he, you know, is he one of the, the, the good Clemson receivers to make it to the NFL level? Or is he one of the guys who sort of fades? That's a good question with him. And I don't, I don't have an answer at this point. Uh, Michael Gallup is another name that uh, yes, I don't think I he improved or, or, or fell off, but I just, he's a really good football player. Yes. And if he would have had better SAT scores, maybe he ends <laughs> up as a power, you know, in a power five school. And maybe we, we talk about him a little bit more right now, but he, he has the chops uh, to potentially be a fantasy factor as well uh, out of C- CSU Rams right there uh, for Michael Gallup. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I like the way he plays football. I have Gallup as my number four wide receiver, so you will not find someone who's higher on Michael Gallup than I. Um, but uh, one name I wanted to mention for you before we move on tight ends is uh, Jaleel Scott. I think he's a he's an interesting project. I feel like he's he's a guy that moves extremely well for his size. Like usually when you find guys that are 6'5", 215 pounds, they're a little bit odd in the way that they move. I feel like he looks like a natural athlete and he moves that way. Um, in the combine, he didn't, he didn't necessarily stand out in any of the things, but he he's someone that I feel like on day three taking a shot 
uh, or even is an undrafted free agent. I don't know if he's going to fall out of the draft, but is someone that I feel like he's a raw prospect that you mentioned it, having that potential number one receiver. Scott is very raw, but he's got the body for it. I, I feel like he has the athleticism too. Is that have you watched any tape on Jaleel Scott? You know, he's on my list. I couldn't get far enough down that list, yeah. but yeah, he's he's got some buzz now. And the thing about him with the combine is the numbers sort of across the board are kind of mid range, but that's mm-hmm. fine. I, I yeah. you know, you don't want to see extremes on the low end. I mean, of course you want to see extremes on the high end, but you don't want to see any extremes on the low end. He didn't really do that. So he went out and, and did a decent enough job. I don't think he's a day two pick uh, based on what I know from him right now, more of a day three pick, but there are guys, you know, who last year we thought the same thing of, you know, oh, they're day three guys. They won't be much. And, and they ended up surfacing on, uh, the radar this year, maybe not the fantasy radar, but the NFL radar and getting meaningful snaps at, at the wide receiver position. So that's an interesting name, a good call out. Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's something to pay attention to as we get later in the draft, because some of those names will eventually turn into something. It's a name to keep on your radar is all. Uh, in terms of the tight ends, you know, it's another class where it's like, you know, for fantasy purposes, we want to talk about the pass catching receivers, like the, the pass catching tight ends, you know, like Mark Andrews, Dallas Goddard. That's the thing. This class, I, I feel like there's four names that I think people were throwing in the top four, and I think that they could have been rearranged in any order, and I would have had no issue with it because tight end can be really hit or miss uh, in, in terms of you know how can they stay on the field? How is their blocking? Mark Andrews, we know, didn't block very much at Oklahoma, so is he going to be on the field? Is a team going to draft him as almost like that hybrid wide receiver tight end? That's the questions that come up, but Penn State tight end, Mike Gesicki, he essentially did what Saquon Barkley did, but at the tight end position in terms of his measurables and his athleticism. Is he now the first tight end off the board? I mean, after Dallas Goddard didn't really uh, he didn't partake in the combine. Yeah, I still think it's going to be Goddard. I, I mean, the the way that the kid plays, he's he's an animal and uh, Jacecki has some some deficiencies in his game. Uh, it's, it's, it's a weird class because I, I get really excited about this class because of what you mentioned. If you like move tight ends, this is the class like move tight ends slash H back. This is awesome. Goddard, Andrews, Jacecki, Hurst. Yes. And then we could even go down further. Uh, there are, there are other guys in this class who, you know, Akins, for example, who didn't run, you know, uh, at, at the, he didn't run the 40 or anything like that. Uh, didn't do anything actually at the, at the combine, but there are, there are really intriguing names here. I don't think he's the first one off the board though. I still think it's going to be Goddard, but maybe we now see these guys go a little bit higher than we had initially thought. Uh, but <laughs> Hey, we know for a fact Tight end is is really brutal for fantasy purposes. Yes. It's terrible. It is straight terrible. Uh lack of consistency. This year, I I I would have had better luck because <laughs> it really was <laughs> luck this year, ranking by just picking names out of a hat, I feel like. Just put the top 25 in a hat and then whatever order they come out, I'll put them uh, because every week, you know, you you kind of it, it's wise to play fantasy season long conservatively, like you rank conservatively and that usually evens out at the end of the season. But this season, it just made no sense. And the lack of depth 
Like you think there's depth, but there really isn't at the tight end position. So, so to have more of these move guys who can come in and ultimately for fantasy purposes, you know, Hey, draft Knicks out there can say these guys can't block. I don't care. I, I honestly, <laughs> you know, the Jimmy Graham thing. Oh, he can't block. Okay, cool. When's the last time he <laughs> caught a pass when he was blocking? Like, I don't care. So yeah, to have Goddard, to have Andrews, that's, that's the order I have it. I have Goddard, Andrews, Gisecki and, and Hearst, and it's super close. The only knock I would have on Hearst is that he's old for, for the position, but uh, they're all very, very, very similar guys. Andrews was a wide receiver, basically, at Oklahoma. Uh, Goddard, I mean, did Goddard beat up on inferior competition? Probably, probably. But in the same right, could he go out there and and uh, play well against better competition? I think he can. And we did at least see, I mean, 23 reps on the bench was solid out of him. Jacecki jumping out the gym, the basketball <laughs> background, all of these guys with the you know athletic backgrounds that they have. And then Hurst uh, as well, just freakishly athletic. Uh, I don't think the pitching background is going to do much for him as a tight no. end, but but still, they're really appealing. This is an interesting year for for these move tight ends. Now, that being said, I'm geeking out about it now. I don't know if any of these guys have a year one impact. Correct. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a long shot, right? I mean, to do what Evan Ingram did, that's kind of historic in, in a lot of ways. It's very rare to see these guys. And that's why it, it does tick me off when people call Eric Ebron a bust. Eric Ebron still isn't even close to the wheelhouse peak age for tight end production. Correct. He's still got two more years to go before we get there. He's so, just turned 25, right? Like 25 years old this year, right? Yeah. And 27 is the peak years. I mean, look at like we, we saw, okay, um, Kyle Rudolph broke out 27. Zach Ertz broke out. You know, he's 26 last year, 27 this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's not uh, brain I always say it's yeah yeah it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. The the tight end has a long learning curve for these guys at the pro level. At the college level, they can run around and just be athletic, but at the pro level, that just doesn't work. You have to learn a lot of things. So it's intriguing, but um, yeah. To ultimately answer your question, I, I don't know. I don't know if Jasicki goes in the first round. I do still think Goddard's going to be the first off the board, though. Yeah, it's, it's that's very likely. And that's the thing. Hurst is probably honestly, if they were all the same age, I might say Hurst might be my number one tight end. He just mm-hmm. he looks like a natural football player. Like you watched him out there in the drills. He was head and shoulders. He just looked so natural tracking the ball over his shoulder. Um, he just moves very smoothly. He, he was given handoffs while playing in South Carolina. He looks so fast on tape. So I was a little disappointed by his four, six, seven, 40 time. Uh, he did come in at six, four. So he was a little shorter than I than than listed at six, five. Uh, but he moves incredibly well for a tight end. So I'm I'm really interested in landing spots for those guys. But as you mentioned, I think this is an important thing for dynasty football players. Where, Jeff, would you uh, slot tight ends in terms of drafts? Like, because last year we had, you know, David Njoku, we had OJ Howard, you know, sitting there, Evan Ingram, these guys sitting there that were being taken at the end of the first round. I feel like right now in the offseason, you can get, you know, if you wait at tight end and say, I'm not going to draft a tight end, I'll trade for one after their first season or two, like David Njoku, you could probably get him right now for, you know, an early second round pick, maybe a late first, just depending on your league mates and how they feel. But I feel like his value didn't skyrocket. I feel like people are around the draft are so geeked out on potential value that they'll sell a player like David Njoku looking for someone to contribute right away. So how early would you even consider taking a tight end? Maybe like Dallas Goddard, where would you take them in your dynasty rookie draft? So as of right now, I have him mid second round. And uh, then I don't have another tight end until 
Andrews comes in in the mid third round. Yep. So, uh, you know, that's and I, I'd say late middle second round for Goddard. Uh, I don't really want to prioritize it, even though I like these guys. You're right. You can get them for for value. If 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 there's a tight end, if I have a need a tight end and it's a third round and hopefully I already had three picks by that point, then, yeah, I'd probably be looking at one of these guys for value if they're still on the board. Even even Hurst, even though the age thing isn't ideal, I, I don't I don't really have a huge issue with that. But I think that's a, a, a tremendous point there at the tight end position in dynasty leagues. They they lose value, you know, there's that hype in the beginning, then they'll lose value because almost every tight end in their rookie season disappoints fantasy people. And then you can get them on the cheap and you get them on the cheap. You sit on them realizing, you know, it's like, it's the, the, the say, saying that all those people out there in crypto have just hold the guy, just hold <laughs> him, hold, 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 listen to Braveheart, right? Hold, yep. And and wait, and then it's eventually going to happen if you believe in the talent that the guy has. Uh, of course, not nothing's one hundred percent of the time, but yeah, I think that's a good move. And then the other important takeaway here is that there is a there's a sort of uh, influence that happens, the dynasty influence on redraft, and then people start. You know, mm-hmm. last year I kept saying like you're crazy if you're drafting OJ Howard, yep. like you're crazy. Yep. You are absolutely off your off your rocker if you're drafting him. And, you know, other than a few big, random, unpredictable games, that was pretty much spot on. We didn't want O.J. Howard. It was too inconsistent. I would rather have, you know, certainly would have rather went another route in, in that part of a draft. So just something to consider. I, I would not look at these guys as redraft options unless, like I said, maybe if Andrews lands sort of just in the perfect spot, there's no receivers, he's going to get a lot of targets and he's going to be the automatic number one mm-hmm. at the position. But that, you know, the stars are going have to align for that to happen i agree and i think the one spot where i would feel confident about that would be the saints because the saints they don't have a second i don't even do they have a third round pick i know they don't have a second round pick so they have to hit on that first round so if they take one of those tight ends at the end of the first round Mm -hmm. you know that they're going to contribute right away because drew Brees. i mean let's be real here 39 years old I mean, the clock is ticking. They know that. I mean, the Saints obviously have to get a deal done. Otherwise, Bruce Breeze ain't going to be back there. Um, I want to like they have to get him franchise tag within a few days. Otherwise, he's going to count as like a cap hit regardless, like a big, massive cap hit, something about his contract. So I don't know what's happening with Drew Breeze and why they haven't gotten a contract uh, in place with him. But I, I fully expect it to happen. How would you feel? Now, that's the thing. Let's pretend that Andrews or, or Goddard, one of those goes to the Saints at the end of the first round. Would those guys then be considered someone that you would contemplate at the end of the first round in a dynasty draft? Yeah, that would probably move it up. Well, I, only slightly, though. That's the problem, you know, because it's how many years of Breeze do you have? Right. Do you have two more good years of Breeze? Do you I mean, and it happens quick with quarterbacks, mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys, Peyton Manning, Brett Favre, they just fell off a cliff. Yeah. And there was almost no warning, you know, (laughs) so Breeze, like I said, coming off another good season, even though the numbers weren't there, but how many years do you have? And then who's after Breeze, right? It's really rare to be lucky enough to actually have a franchise quarterback follow up a franchise quarterback. So that's, um, I don't know if I would move him that much. I may move him to the front end of the second round. It's another really interesting question. Uh, with Goddard, but you have to figure if they draft him, they are getting him in 
and he's going to see plenty of targets in that in that rookie season. Yep, that's exactly how I feel. And this is fun, Jeff. I always enjoy talking football with you. Uh, obviously, you and I are in the same exact path here in terms of, you know, where we're at in the NFL season, getting to jump on this tape, watching as much as we can over the last couple months. Uh, so it, it was it's fun. It was fun talking with you, man. Yeah, it's always a pleasure, my man. Definitely love talking football at this time of year because people always say there's an off season, but the beauty to to football now, there is no off season. And what's even better is best ball leagues have made this like a (laughs) fantasy is like 365 now, which is so cool. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. It's sort of the, the beginning of of the madness. We're just starting to put that whole puzzle together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Best ball leagues are so much fun. Uh, we're doing a lot of those at draft this off season. Uh, check out, we have a promo on our site, go check it out. Uh, but as always, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to uh, follow Jeff's work, go check him out at profootballfocus.com. Follow him on Twitter at Jeff Ratcliffe. As usual, you could follow me at Mike Taglier NFL. You are not going to want to miss tomorrow's episode as we welcome Mike Wright from fantasy footballers to discuss who is about to hit free agency as well as their potential landing spots. Today, we heard that Jimmy Graham might receive some interest from the Saints. But again, guys, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Until then, lights out. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.